0: chapter 22 of Matthew and as you're turning there let's uh let's pray let's pray as we get started dear Lord uh we thank you for the gifts of your for your church Lord we thank you that you've been super generous with us Lord we thank you for the blessings in our life Lord I pray also Lord give us perspective on the hard things in our life also um Many of us in here this morning are struggling with all kinds of things, Lord. We're struggling with doubts and fears and worries and addictions and pain, broken relationships, Lord. We pray that you would do your work, do your healing. You are the answer. You are our hope. Um, and we pray that you would open up your word this morning. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to your word this morning. Thank you. For this beautiful passage from Matthew chapter 22. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew 22, I am going to read out of the ESV this morning. And we are in, sorry, verse 15. Verse 15. We've covered the the first section, and it was the parable of the wedding feast. But now we're going to get into politics. Everybody's favorite topic. Uh, I'm sure there will be somebody who's offended today. Please direct your emails. You'll find it on the website to me, and uh, we can talk it out. (laughs) It'll be fun. Uh, Verse 15 Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it they marveled and they left him and went away. I know it doesn't appear like it on the surface but this is a pretty powerful passage and I hope you'll stick with it this morning. I think there's a lot of really cool things the Lord has to teach us about our interaction with politics with politics and it's an important topic. I mean we're in a we're in a we're in a politically charged moment. I was thinking about this, even this week, or it was last week on MLK Junior Day, we went and visited Monticello, a little ironic, I know, but we were on the top of this gorgeous mountain, I don't know if you've been up there before, thanks, thanks for the, you're welcome, yeah, Uh, we're on the top of this beautiful, beautiful mountain, I don't know if you've been up there, it's, you know, it's, it's called Monticello because it's the Italian word for little mountain, and the views are astounding from up there. just the setting it just blows my mind I love it of course he was inspired and one of the things they talk about on the tour if you go on the tour is the fact that he was asked and inspired to write this really important document now kiddos kiddos this one's for you Hunter this one's for you does anybody know the really important document that Thomas Jefferson wrote uh, when he was yeah in office the Declaration of Independence what an amazing document and one of the things they always bring up when you're taking the tour is that opening uh, phrase, right? The, the, the very, the first part of it was, was just astounding and powerful, especially for its time. And does anybody know how that opening phrase goes in the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident that? Dear King George. All what? Dear King George. Okay, fair enough. Good. <laughs> I stand corrected. Thank you, Oak. Well done. Uh, that, that all what? Yeah, that all men are created equal. That was a bombshell in many ways for politics at the time. For politics. Up until that point, most of the political system had been built around Aristotle's phrase. Had been, and here's, here's how Aristotle put it. And this is how, what, how humans had governed for most of history. And, and he said this. From the hour of their birth some men are marked out for subjection, others for rule. I mean, that's how the world operated uh, for the most part until, this, the, until TJ comes around. And his office is amazing, by the way. Have you been in TJ's office? Wow. I just, I just marveled at the inventions that he came up with. It was truly incredible. Uh, and, and anyway, but that's, I'm getting off topic. But the point is, we live, these, these powerful phrases are important because we live in a politically charged time and we live in a politically charged town. You may have felt this a little bit, even recently, even maybe this past summer. Um, and uh, there's clashes that we constantly hear about. There's clashes between conservatives and liberals. There's worries even locally about the city council. There's, and there's a lot of confusion because of the proliferation of information on the internet of the 24-hour news cycle, uh, and it's hard to get your head around it. It feels like a big soup. It feels like a big cloud, a big political cloud kind of hanging over us. And the, thankfully, this morning, Jesus takes a butter knife and he cuts right through it. You're going to see from this passage, just like that powerful phrase from Thomas Jefferson that literally changed the course of how politics was conducted Jesus has a phrase here for us this morning that changes everything about the Christian's interaction with politics. And we're going to we're going we're going to go over it in detail in just a minute. But if you remember it, it's, it's it's it starts like this. Render, anybody? Unto what is and render what is God's. Right. So it, it, it and then we're going to unpack that in just a minute. But it, that is a powerful powerful phrase. But before we do that, we're going to break it down in three different ways. We're going, to, we're going to look at how Jesus is going to clear up some of the confusion about politics for us. He's going to clear up some of the confusion this morning. And there's three things we're going to look at. We're going to first look at the trap. The Pharisees and the Herodians set a trap for Jesus, a political uh, sort of uh, an, like an, an starement around him. Like he couldn't escape. It's yes or no. So we're going to look first at the trap, the political trap. Then we're going to look at the toss of the coin. We're going to look at the toss. The trap first. The toss second, the toss of the coin. And lastly, the truth. The truth about political power. The truth about... So first, let's look at the trap. Now, at first blush, you may have seen this passage in the Bible before. It's a fairly... Even if you haven't seen it in the Bible before, you've probably heard someone quote it. it. It's... It's a frequently used phrase, render unto Caesars, what is it, render unto God. You know, it, it, we've heard this uh, kind of, it kind of floats around the American milieu to some degree. But, this, let's, but sometimes we miss what's going on in this passage. What has happened is Jesus just cleared the temple. Jesus just came into the temple and he turned over all the tables of the money changers and it looks like he is, he is going to take over. That's what it looks like, right? We just read about recently that, uh, from Matthew that Jesus comes in riding a donkey. And the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And you know, the bells are ringing. And they said the whole, the last passage we studied in Matthew said the, the town was shaken. things were Things were charged politically. Let me tell you. Jerusalem was boiling. And so this question is really important because the Pharisees and the Herodians had two different viewpoints on the Roman government of the time, on Caesar's government. The Pharisees, of course, opposed it and were wanting some type of rebellion. The Herodians, it says from this passage, the Herodians, they followed Herod, King Herod, and they they wanted uh, the Jews to be in subjection to the government, to be in subjection to the government. Now, here's what's important about this question, this trap that they bring to Jesus. The tax, the tax. They said, "What do you?" They told. They said, "Jesus, how do? What do you feel about the tax?" Well, the tax was a denarius. So we know from history that what they were referring to is this thing called the head tax. The head tax was important because it was not a tax on your goods, on the things that you owned or your income. It was a tax on your head. The point being. It wasn't a huge amount of money. It wasn't a huge amount of money. But the point of, of giving the head tax was to say to the state government at the time, to say to Caesar, I'm yours. I pay for the privilege of being in your realm. You are my king on this. Well, we're going to get to the coin in just a minute, so let's not, get, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But this head tax, 25 years before Jesus is answering this question to these two men, Twenty-five years before, there was an armed revolt in this same area led by a guy named Judas the Galilean. And this armed revolt started because of the head tax. Okay? So he Judas the Galilean wanted the kingdom of God to be above all other things. And so what he did was he what uh, what he did was he said, We will not, the Jews will not pay the head tax. No way. Revolt. And so then, so not only did he say, We're not going to pay the head tax. He goes on and he says, I'm going to cleanse the temple of all non-Jewish people because, again, we're bringing in the reign of God, the kingdom of God. That's what this this guy, Judas the Galilean, did. And then lastly, he said, the kingdom of God is above the kingdom of man. Does anybody know what happened to Judas the Galilean? Exactly. you never heard of him. (laughs) What do you think happened to Judas the Galilean? Oak." He was killed, yes. He, was all, he and all of his uh, fellow, uh, you know, crazy... Not crazy, they weren't crazy. All of his fellow sort of people were with him on, on this revolt, on this revolution. They were all, as you might imagine, rounded up by the ruling powers and killed, squashed. Maybe not all of them, but certainly Judas the Galilean was. And of course, we've never heard of him. Something different happens with Jesus, and the reason the Pharisees thought they could trap him at this point, and the Herodians thought they could trap him, is they were like Jesus, you're doing you're doing he 's doing the exact same thing Judas the Galilean did he's, He cleansed the temple, he, he rode in on a donkey, all the people saying, "Hosanna, obviously a revolt is about to happen, and they're like we we got him, we got him. We can just ask him this question where he falls do you?" Need to pay the head tax or do you not? That was the question. Do you pay the head tax or you don't pay the head tax? And they knew if he said yes, boom, problems. If he said no, boom, problems. He is gonna he it's a trap, he's screwed. And here's why it was so important if he said yes. Jerusalem at the time was like my backyard in Lexington. We still live in Lexington, and my backyard had this massive pile of logs. And in between all the logs were all this dry brush, and then I had thrown some Christmas trees on top of this. And I invited over some people, let's hang out by the bonfire. Um, But I didn't know, after we poured all this gasoline on top of it, how high the flames were going to go. And so when I have ended up finding a match and flicking it onto the pile. I was a little too close, but more importantly, there was a tree that was a little too close. <laughs> it, the story ends well. Basically, the tree, some, by the miracle of God, would you agree it was a miracle of God? I think it was a miracle. The tree just turned black, but it didn't actually ignite. It, I know, I know. Thank you, Lord. That's a little bit like Jerusalem. Jesus is coming in The people, this head tax is driving them crazy. Things like the head tax. And the the Jews that are in Jerusalem at the time, Jesus just has to say, no, don't pay it. It's like flicking a match. It's going to explode. He's going to cause a revolution and he's going to get, and it's going to be a humongous clash with the authorities. They know it. But does Jesus say yes? He doesn't say yes. The same thing is true though if if Jesus says no. Jesus has spent the entire book of Matthew, we've been studying it, talking about the kingdom of God. He's been talking about, the, the kingdom of God is a big deal to Jesus. And, and religion at that time was different than we often think of religion today. The enlightenment has messed us up. We often think, and you hear politicians even today saying, well, that's my private life, and then I have my public life. That's, that's not how it was done back in this day. Right? It was all one. You were a follower of Jesus, or you were a Jew, or you weren't, and you followed things, it, people would know. You it wasn't hidden to anyone, right? And so Jesus, by saying, yes, pay the tax, it was acquiescing to, it was, it was the equivalent of saying, yes, our God is Tiberius Caesar. Or, yes, we totally acquiesce. We are, we are subservient to these ruling powers. We're totally subservient. And so what does Jesus say? Does he say yes, or does he say no to their question? Exactly. Exactly. He doesn't do either. He doesn't do either. He brings this incredibly powerful wisdom of God into the situation. And he doesn't answer it yes or no. And there's actually an implication of that. He has a non-answer to some degree. Or I might even call it more of an awesome answer. He's not saying... Revolt, grab power, bring about justice in the world. Okay, let's do this. And he's also not saying, yes, Caesar is our God. We must obey him as the Jewish people. He's not saying either of those. He transcends the party system. There's an implication back then for those people, and there's an implication for us today. Hear this. Jesus transcends party politics. He does. Jesus transcends whatever pet program we might think he needs to be a part of in this world. Y'all, people do this all the time. They attach Jesus to a certain political party, or they attach Jesus to a certain political program or certain political movement. He won't do it, he won't fit in the box. He just won't. He transcends it. I know well meaning, uh, you know, Christians who have deep convictions about things that the Bible teaches. Let's, let's talk about a couple, just so we can get controversial. Uh, I mean, how about the environment, right? The environment, it's important. Uh, the Bible talks about the environment. The Bible talks about Christians caring for the environment, right? And if that becomes the defining issue for you, which side is Jesus on? Let's, let's, let's throw out a couple others. Um, how about uh, the poor, right? Right? Did Jesus care about the poor? What if politically that becomes the defining issue for you, right? Which side is Jesus on if that's the case? You don't have to answer this. <laughs> we don't need to get into an argument here this morning. I'm just, I'm just kind of asking some basic questions about it. Um, how about, you know, I was reading this morning about this women's march yesterday. What if, what if women's rights are, are the defining issue for you? Uh, I mean, there's this whole Me Too movement going on right now. There's a, I mean, there's a, a lot of political charge with that. Um, Jesus respected women, right? W- you know, what side do you think Jesus would fall on in those uh, marches? Or, you know, would he, what, would he or would he not show up? It, there, these are tough questions. But the, I think what Jesus is doing here in this passage is giving us the implication, the principle, that he won't fit into the box. He just won't fit into the box. You can be a well-meaning, biblical, Jesus-following Christian and be on either side of the party. So that's, I, I firmly believe that. Either party system. That's gonna, I know it's going to drive some people nuts, but I, I, I really think it's an implication coming from Jesus himself. We can argue about it later. Next. <laughs> Next, Jesus says, Render unto Caesars what is Caesar's. Render. he's This is the toss the toss. And I, I, I call it the toss cause, basically because it was, you know, alliteration. But uh, the bottom line is, I think probably he said, Pete, toss me a coin. You know, Give, give c- come on, let's look at this. And so the coin at the time, this denarius, which was for the head tax, the denarius had a picture of who? Caesar, right? And it also had an inscription that said, because um, they have copies of it uh, even today. And it, it talked about the fact that it said, Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Son of the divine. So uh, the the main uh, power at the time was called a god. And then if you flip the coin over, it said Pontifus Maximus. Let may know what that means. You may taken take Greek or Latin. It means, it means high priest, the highest priest. So he was called the son of God high priest. That was on the coin. That was on the coin. And Jesus is saying, look, this, he says, "This icon." The Greek word he uses is—it's literally the word icon. He says, "This icon, you give to this icon what this icon deserves." Right? Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. And he's saying, "This image, what's on our what's on our money? Who's on the dollar bill? Who's on the two dollar bill? Yep." We pulled one of those out, and we we're at Monticello, right? Who's on the five-dollar bill, Scotty? It's okay. It's okay. We'll try the quiz later, right? Render unto the picture who's on the picture. Right? This is really important. What Jesus is saying here: render unto the picture. And literally back then, the money was actually out of the coffers of Caesar himself. That's where they printed the money out of his. He's like, give him, give him, give him back. But, he, but he's, this is really nuanced here, what he's saying. What's it, what is the thing that is most on this earth, what is the thing that is most in the icon or image of God? Yeah, I am. You are. We are. We are the image of God. He says, render, and this is the icon word, render unto God what is God's. Essentially, he's saying... You can give this money, this printed money, back to Caesar, but you can never give him your allegiance. You can never give him your allegiance. You have a stamp on you, and it's made by the Creator Himself, by God Himself. What are the implications of that? Well, let's talk about a couple of them. First, politics cannot be your primary source for seeing change in the world. That's a tough one, I know. But I really think Jesus is saying that in this passage. Politics can't be your primary source for seeing change in this world. Don't you dare let government be in the place of God. The place that God takes. Um, There are many people who who would say that government, government programs are the savior of the world and the hope for mankind. Uh, Jesus just doesn't allow that here. He's saying, the sa- I'm the savior of the world and the hope for mankind. That's what's all over the book of Matthew. Um, that's, that's difficult. I'm going to be honest. Because it feels, right? Because, because politics, government, I mean, it's us, right? It's, it's people taking care of people. Right? So here's the question I had. And this is our last and final point. The truth about political power. The question for me, after hearing Jesus on the topic of politics, is, why? That was, that was the thing I couldn't shake as I was studying this. Why, Jesus, why not give us the power? Why? Like, you're not giving your followers, Jesus, the power. You're not giving us the motivation or the principles to take power. Isn't that what we should be doing? Right? Like, let's think about it for a minute. Uh, Someone who's a follower of Jesus, someone who studies the Bible, wouldn't they be better in power than the people who are currently in power in whatever country it is? I'm not just talking about America. Right? Wouldn't that make more sense? And that's what all of the Jews of his day, that's what the Pharisees were saying. Why are you not giving us the power? And also, I think on the flip side of that coin, the flip side of that coin, why not Jesus give us the permission to go And hide from the world. Why not give us the permission, like the Essenes, like the Quakers, to go form little communities that are totally separate from the government, who can't be touched by the government? He's not giving that that option either. Jesus doesn't give either of those options. Okay, let's unpack it. Let's unpack the why. It has been said that Jesus is the most influential person who has ever lived certainly the last 2,000 years. But here's what's ironic, strange, and I think it'll help us understand political power. He owned no land. He had no big buildings. He was from a backwater town. Think of the smallest town you've been to. It was smaller than that. He was from a backwater region. That backwater town was in a backwater region of the world. And here's the kicker. He had no money. That's the opposite of what most people would say about government programs, right? What do you, why is our government shut down right now? <laughs> the money. <laughs> Everybody's arguing about where is the money going to come from and where is the money going to go to. Because if you're going to do anything, if you're, this, this is how government thinks, if you're going to do anything, you have to have money. In our passage today, think about this. How much money does Jesus have? He asks someone else for the coin. This was a day's wage for a low-wage worker. He doesn't have it. He doesn't reach into his pocket. This is the king without money. Why? I mean, that's just radical. It's such a strange that Jesus is the most influential person of the last 2,000 years, at least. And yet, he did not have two coins to rub together. How is that possible? Well, Jesus' ultimate point is that the human system of government, and and this is true of lots of other organizations, too. It's not just government, but any human organization. The main focus, the main desire is for power, Success, recognition, and comfort. Power, success, recognition, and comfort. Right? And Jesus knows this. This is why he says, Hey, my followers, go take power. This is why he doesn't say that. He knows the human heart. He knows the human heart. And it doesn't matter who is the next in line for gaining power. It doesn't matter what revolution it is. The people who are desiring to gain the power will fall into the same trap. It will be all about the recognition, the success, the power, and the comfort. He knows it. It's rearranging the furniture. He says, my kingdom, my kingdom is different. The radical change that I'm bringing is coming not from taking power, recognition, success, and comfort. It's by giving it away. That's the kind of king I am. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to give it all away. I am going to become poor. And you think I'm poor now? He didn't have two coins to rub together. He's about to become much less wealthy. He's about to be rejected by God on the cross. He's about to give everything away for you and for me, for us. He became poor, the Bible says, so that we might become rich. Rich. The riches of God, the riches of Jesus' righteousness, the riches of Jesus' grace are ours through the sacrifice of Jesus himself. That is a miracle. And it teaches us a principle about what we do and don't want. Y'all, I know all of y'all are like me, and on a bad day, you desire power and recognition. You love it. You crave it. You crave it. If you're just honest with yourself, you crave it. But Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, and by the gospel working within us, we can actually reflect what Jesus is talking about. We can begin to give away power, to give away the recognition that we so desperately crave, because God himself first gives us those things. He says, you're my beloved child. Lyndon has this book at home. I read it to her last night when, uh, when she was taking a bath. And it's, it talks about the fact that there's this little girl named Gigi, and she's a princess. She's God's princess. It's a fabulous book. I love it. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about Lyndon. She, she's a princess. But she's not my princess, even though I say that to her before she goes to bed every night. She's not really my princess. She's God's princess. We're God's princes and princesses. The love of his heart and, 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 and in that place, by faith, in that place, we are finally allowed, empowered, in fact, to give away some of the power and the money and the comfort that we crave so desperately. It's real change. And it 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 brings about it's it brings about real change in the world. Real change. The the civil rights movement was amazing, was awesome. But did it erase racism? Of course not. It brought about some fabulous, some wonderful changes. But real racism is tackled as people go and love their neighbor, whoever different race. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. Y'all, this has real life implications. Jesus actually came to help the poor. Jesus actually came to help the, the division and the destruction that's in our world. And he does it powerfully through his own sacrifice and then calling his disciples to fa- sacrifice in the same way. As an application, just think of one area, one person in your life that you can give away a little bit to. It might be money. It, it might not be. It might be time. It might be power. What, I don't know what, what it is for you. But imagine yourself giving away Some of that which you most crave. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we can't do it. (laughs) If you taught us anything from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Beatitudes about the poor and the meek, Lord, we can't do it. We can't give this stuff away. Our hearts are so enamored by getting ahead, by being the best by proving ourselves. Lord, we can't do it without your help. And I pray, Lord, that you would powerfully this morning, as we come to your table, as we come to this meal, that you would powerfully give us your strength so that we might give a little bit away, a little bit of what we desire. And I pray, Father, for this church also. I pray that this church would be a place where things are given away. Where we give power to one another. Where we give power to people in our community that don't have it. Where we give recognition to people in our community that don't have it. Where we give money to people in our community that don't have it. Lord, I pray that if, if this church is known for nothing else, that it would be known for being a place that gives away, not takes for itself. And in that way, Lord, we will be a light on a hill. We will be different than all of the politics. We'll be different than the government, Lord. We'll be an organization built upon Jesus and upon the message of the cross. But Lord, we, we, again, we understand we, it's not in our power. We can't do it. We must have you. We must have your Holy Spirit. We must have Jesus. So give, it, give those to us today in spades. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we get to see a picture of the gospel. This same gospel that we just talked about from Matthew chapter 22. This idea that that Jesus gave it away for us. And your job right now is to not go out into the world and to go change things and to go give away uh, yourself yet. That's coming. But your job, as we come to the table, is to receive. Is to receive. It's hard, y'all, to humble ourselves to that place. We need Jesus, and our job now is just to receive from Him. He has so many good things for us. He has so many gifts for us. He has so much love for us. Receive it. Just receive it. Open hands, open heart. Let him come to you. Because, because we're celebrating what he taught his disciples. And he was in the upper room with them. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I give it away for you. Now receive me to yourself. And so this morning, we do the same thing. We receive him to ourself. And I would ask that if you have not made Jesus your king, that you would spend some moment in reflective prayer thinking about God moving in your own life, moving in your own life and drawing you to this King who loves, the King who gives Himself for you. But let the elements pass by. But if you, if you have received Jesus as King, this meal is for you. And receive it deeply into your being this morning. Amen? Amen.